Hello, and welcome to the Second Chapter Podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I am so excited to be back with you. Just a reminder, I'm counting on you. The best way to get the word out about the podcast is word of mouth, so please tell a friend. They can search the Second Chapter wherever they listen to podcasts. Thanks for spreading the word. This week, I'm speaking with Suzanne Maloney. Suzanne was leading a life many of us dream of, first as a chef and then happily running her own successful bakery. But it was Suzanne's idea for a product to help people with a medical condition that she herself suffers from that led her to close her eyes and leap, leaving behind baking, moving across the country and creating Hydroware. There's just all of these little lovely real life stories being fed back into me and it really keeps me going because this is definitely not an easy thing to do. Uh, sometimes I, I'm just like flabbergasted about how much work has been done and how much there still is to do, but it's so worthwhile. I wouldn't change it for the world. Hi, Suzanne. Thank you for joining me on the second chapter. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me as well. I'm delighted to be here. Suzanne, your story is almost the opposite of what I tend to find with most of the second chapter guests. A lot of people come on and they're like, oh yeah, I had this health career, or I was a nurse, or I was in the medical field or something along those lines. And I've become something creative, I guess you could say. Not that lots of careers aren't creative, but yeah, people come to me and they say, I lived my dream now of becoming a chef or a baker. You, on the other hand, were a chef slash baker and have now got a completely different career in the medical field. But I'd love to start talking a bit about how you became a chef and what that was all about. Yeah. And it's so funny because I never thought of it like that until you said it there. And I was like, that's so true. Lots of people do dream, have it, have the ideal kind of dream of the baker and making cakes and sweets for people. And it was such a lovely job. I loved it. And I got into chefing first, actually, even when I was a kid, I loved cooking and baking buns and making sweets and I was just always making something at home. And I suppose after school, I studied catering, culinary arts and catering for health. So it was a broad course covering all the traditional French classics and then a bit of health related dietary requirements in there as well. So it was a lovely, lovely course. I left college and started working in kitchens in Dublin. And I basically had the time of my life. I absolutely loved it. Loved working in busy kitchens, lots of really cool people, really interesting work environment, high pressure. It was just a great, great kind of couple of years of my life. And then I began working in a pastry section in a restaurant that I was in. And I really loved pastry and desserts and just being a bit more creative with what I could do and work and I loved learning all about that so I was buying a lot of books on pastries desserts all of the good stuff and uh, yeah just started to excel in that field really. I know that some of that's pretty specialized is that something that you had studied as well as part of culinary school or was this just something you're making it up as you go along and like you said buying the books and figuring it out? Yeah we did we we did some kind of basic desserts in culinary school but it would have been more, I would have learned more on the job, basically. I had a really good chef like training me as well in work. So I was able to learn from him. But also a lot of stuff was self-taught. And eventually, actually, I went to Toronto for a, a, a long summer to do a diploma in confectionery arts. Because I 
really loved that side of it and I wanted to become just I suppose an expert in the field I'd made my brother's wedding cake a few months before I went to Toronto and started making other cakes for other people friends and family and I really loved that side of it as well so I think I I wanted to become an expert hone my skills and bring something a bit different back to Ireland as well because a lot of our wedding cakes at the time were fruit cakes with royal icing and a couple of flowers here and there and I wanted to just be way more creative with what I was doing so yeah when I got back from Toronto I went back into working in kitchens and I was just like what am I doing back here I'm after learning all of this amazing stuff I know that I have always wanted to have my own business even before that when I was a kid I was also very entrepreneurial I suppose I was always making like little bracelets or I'd make uh, candles. I used to do hair wraps in school and I'd be charging people for them. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was just, I loved kind of the idea of working for myself even or making my own money, even when I was a little girl. I got back into the kitchen after I got back from Toronto and I was like, I need to go out on my own. So that's what I did. And I spent the first year up in this kind of industrial estate in a, in a bakery unit making wedding cakes and also supplying branded goods like branded cookies and cupcakes to different marketing corporate or companies and events coordinators and things like that in Dublin. So it was great. I absolutely loved it. It's funny too, because again, I feel like one of the things that's a common theme is I didn't love it or something went terribly wrong or I had this major change in my life that made me go, oh, this isn't the career for me. Whereas you've said, I loved chefing. I loved baking. I had my own business. Did you move out of the the industrial unit to any kind of a storefront or anything ever? Do you know what? Did I get that far? (laughs) It it did in a way. So I, I didn't actually end up moving out of that unit. I expanded into the unit next door. So we doubled our space. And I was able to hire people. So we were a team of four or five, depending on the time of year. Mm-hmm. And then I also rented a little showroom in the village where I live in Dublin because people getting their wedding cakes wanted to, I suppose, see what I could do. So I had all these gorgeous display cakes around the room and the guests or the, the bride and groom would come up and they'd do a cake tasting with me and they'd look around and look at the pictures and some of the examples that I had there they were all like polystyrene cakes that were decorated Mm -hmm. and then I used to teach sugar craft as well so I taught classes up there and it was just a lovely space I absolutely was in my element up there oh I loved it yeah so it was it was a great business and actually a lady who it was really well timed because when I was transitioning into my new career, there was another baker that was looking to move up the ranks from being a home baker to into a into an organization. So she took over my business essentially and it all worked out very well. <laughs> and your village wasn't left without gorgeous wedding cakes. And- <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, happy ever after. So moving into the next phase of, or the next completely different version, I should say, of your career, you went into, well, you went into, like I said, something medically related, but it started with a condition that you had when you were younger. When did you discover you had, okay, I'm going to do it, hydrodentis. Oh, I didn't do so well. Hydrodentitis. 
<laughs> superativa. <laughs> yeah, it's HS. such a tongue twister. It really is. And do you know what? I was only listening to a, a kind of a medical podcast there over the weekend and there were two nurses talking about it. And they were like, how do you even say this? So it's just tricky to pronounce. I say hydratinitis superativa or HS, and I think we should just refer to it as that from now I will on. Definitely, I, I had to give it a go, but I will definitely say HS from now on. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. One of the nurses was saying it sounds like something from Harry Potter. And it then, does. Yeah. And then the other one was like, yeah, it sounds like a curse. And I said, do you know what? That's a, that's a good point. I still have it actually. So it never really goes away. It can be controlled with medication, but it's something that people just have to live with. Basically a condition that's caused by some kind of dysfunction in the immune system that's not really understood. So Mm -hmm. the actual cause is relatively unknown. The doctors and researchers just know that it's very likely some kind of dysfunction of the immune system. It causes lesions and wounds and abscesses in in, for me anyway, in my armpits and in my thigh, in around my bikini area. But it can happen anywhere on the body. So recurring lumps, boils, abscesses, cysts, scarring, any kind of that, any lesions of that nature recurring in the same location. That's They're very sore. They drain this kind of discharge. They can restrict your movement and they can get infected. It's really just a very difficult disease to deal with. It just sounds so painful and so awkward as far as, because if I'm not mistaken, you were saying that you started discovering or you started having the symptoms of it at 12 or 13, something like that. Yeah, I was really young. I, I, I can't remember exactly if I was 12 or 13, but I know I was moving into secondary school. So, I And that's was, such an awkward, difficult period uh, anyway. Yeah, your body is doing somersaults anyway, and you're already self-conscious. You're getting boobs and pubes, and you don't know what's happening. (laughs) You're getting boobs and pubes. (laughs) Yeah, boobs and pubes. (laughs) And you're already self-conscious and freaked out by the changes happening to your body. And I started getting little lumps in around my bikini line. And I suppose I, at at one point, we were learning about STIs. And I was really worried that I had one, even though I was a child and like it wasn't possible for me to have one. I was just so freaked out by what what it was. I didn't mm. know what to do. And I was really embarrassed. I hid it then from my mother for years, actually. It, they came and went and my parents were both pharmacists. So we had a lot of medical textbooks in the house. And I used to hide away reading, reading up on boils and how to treat them. <laughs> oh, when I think about it now, it's, it's sad, actually. I feel like it's the same thing with Dr. Google, that we're all kind of like, oh, this weird thing's happening to me. I don't know what it is. Should I worry? I'm just going to Google it. Yeah. And you, even I can say as a full-fledged adult, that sometimes <laughs> there are things that I'm just like, I don't know what it is. And maybe, I don't know if it's embarrassment so much or being awkward, but there is that kind of, you need to know about it first. Mm. Yeah. And I think I was, well, I think it was more because it was in my bikini line. I was mm-hmm. just absolutely mortified. So I I kind of managed it myself. So I learned from the books, salt baths are good for any kind of skin condition, topical things you can buy over the counter in the pharmacy. So I was doing that basically. But when I was about 17, 
one of them got really infected. So I, I was really sick from it and I had to show my mum. And she brought me straight to the doctor. And unfortunately for me, and this happens to a lot of people with HS as well, is the doctor didn't recognize it. They didn't know what it was. So they just treated me for a skin infection mm-hmm. and gave me antibiotics. So this was the theme, I suppose, of my life for the next few years until I was diagnosed was just going to the doctor, getting antibiotics and yeah, just not really knowing what was wrong with me. So it was, it started to spread as well. So it moved up into my armpit, around into kind of in around my bum and like down my thighs. So my inner thighs were completely covered with it. And the doctors were just baffled. And I had to have an emergency surgery at one stage because one of them was so bad, still undiagnosed. And eventually I was referred to a colorectal surgeon, actually, because the ones around my bum were just no one could explain it to me. So they were like, we're going to send you to a colorectal surgeon. He thought I had a type of Crohn's disease that presents with cutaneous lesions. Mm. So he had to do some tests on me there. That was real doubt. And then he did he he did a lot of surgeries actually on me when I was about, I think I was 21 or 22 at this stage when I was seeing him. And I think... I went back for my third or fourth excision. And these surgeries are pretty big. They're removing huge areas of skin, these really delicate areas of your body. And the healing time after after them would be eight weeks sometimes. Wow. And he was just completely baffled going, well, like, what is wrong with this girl? Like, she is in here every few, (laughs) few, every six months for another surgery. This is not normal. So he did a bit of research and he established the diagnosis of HS. And then he referred me on to a dermatologist because it's a dermatological disease. So at this point, were people, were you still not being referred to a dermatologist? Was this kind of the first, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you nodded your, you shook your head. No, (laughs) I didn't even give you a chance to answer. Whoa. (laughs) I would, I would just think, I don't know. We can't figure it out. Let's send her to somebody who looks at skin. Yeah, I know. And I suppose hindsight is 2020. Even some of the referral, the referral letter that I have to the colorectal surgeon, it's so obvious when you look at it because it has to list your history and the history is like recurring abscess and treatment for boils. And then I had presented that day with another abscess and it's just like if if the doctor had recognized the signs mm-hmm. I might have been diagnosed earlier and even some of sometimes I think because I'd had so many surgeries if the nurses had known about the condition they'd have maybe gone god you're back again you had another surgery and your bikini line do you think it could be this now, it's no one's fault it's, it's just not really on the curriculum so it's just not broadly known there's so many diseases out there and you can't know everything but I definitely think times have changed now and there's a lot more awareness of the condition so it's great and yeah I, I often think what would my life be like if I had been diagnosed younger at 17 because it wasn't that bad back then and it, it progressively worsened over time for me and it does for a lot of people so it spreads 
the lesions get bigger, they recur more and they start to tunnel underneath your skin. So you have this kind of really gnarled and scarred, painful area of your body. And they're usually in parts of your body that you move, like your arms and your legs. So it's just a very difficult disease to live with. And yeah, sometimes you're like, God, I wish I'd been diagnosed at that age because it might have been managed a bit better. But now that's, I suppose, my mission is to create as much awareness of it as I can to help people get diagnosed sooner and maybe prevent that kind of progression in, in people with the condition by managing it in the earlier stages. So Yeah. So you were diagnosed, you obviously went on to a career that you were really happy in, but then something changed or you came up with an idea that kind of just stopped you in your tracks, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I suppose being a chef, there's a few challenges that I had to live with as a chef, because first of all, our uniforms are usually white. We've got white jackets and (laughs) I used to, I was for the most part, well, I working with all guys and in a few places I worked with, there'd be one bathroom for the staff. And so managing these lesions that were in my armpits and groin, especially when I was in work, I'd be quite obsessed with keeping everything clean and contained. Yeah, definitely. And it was just really difficult to keep dressings in place in my armpit because I'm using my arms all the time. I'm moving them. I'm cooking things. I'm rolling things. And same with working in kitchens. You're very mobile. You're walking around. You're you're just very active. Yeah. So the dressing that I was using were not very good at staying in place in these areas. And I was... <laughs> Actually, it was it was more later on when I was in my bakery that I I had probably, I suppose, a bit more time to think. <laughs> and I was like, I need something that will help me let worry less about this because I'm busy here and I'm trying to do my job. I don't really want to be worried about my clothes or just dressing falling out. And I came up with an idea for a garment and dressing combination that would basically retain the dressings in the right place without me having to tape them on because you have to use so much adhesive to keep these dressings in place. If you think about an armpit, it's warm, it's moist. Sometimes they're hairy, they're very mobile. So the amount of tape you would have to use on that versus just on your thigh, on your shin, which is just a flat area that doesn't actually have any mobility in it. So it was, it was, it was an idea that came to me over time, but I decided to actually fully go for it because I was at my friend's hen party and I was meeting the mother-in-law <laughs> and I was shaking her hand and my dressing that I had in my armpit fell out onto the ground uh, oh. at the party and I was like do you know what that's it I've actually had enough of this I'm just I cannot believe whatever year it was 2013 I think and I was like you can do anything we can put people on the moon there's a space station there's cables under the sea we can 
do heart transplants, why can I not dress my armpit properly? It was just such a stupid, inconvenient thing for me that was impacting my life. And I was just really angry that that I had to deal with that. So I was I was compelled, I suppose, to try and make this idea into a reality. Yeah. And I it started off just being really for me. I didn't really know how big the problem was I was like I'm in online forums for patients anyway and part of different support groups but when I started asking other people in the groups like do you suffer with this as well do you have problems with your dressing the responses were you know across the board yeah this is a really big issue for me and there's not nothing really that works I want to actually put a little context around this as well, because for a long time you weren't diagnosed, but this isn't something that only happens to 0.00004% or whatever percent of the population. It's not uncommon. Yeah, it's not. And that's a real kind of misconception as well, that it's a rare disease. It's not really rare. And we say in the HS community, it's not rare. It's just rarely spoken about. And I think that's because it's, it's, it's very unpleasant I suppose first of all it's not a sexy disease to have you're covered essentially in draining lesions and they're in your most intimate areas of your body so there's a huge shame attached to it and a lot of stigma there's also this kind of narrative that it only happens to obese people which isn't the case and that that is is really not I suppose helpful for a lot of people because then they start to blame themselves and think oh did I do something wrong to get this the answer is no it's it's a dysfunction of the immune system no one knows what causes it there's a lot of misconceptions then around hygiene and people with HS being clean which I would say is the actual opposite I know most people I speak to are obsessed with bathing and showering and trying to keep clean so yeah it's it's the prevalence rate sorry <laughs> I could ramble on about this for no, it, it makes perfect sense because I'm thinking we're talking about it and as you're saying some of the words are words that people associate with just like wound and leash these are not nice words to even hear no. so the idea that you know especially like we were saying if you get it 12 13 years old and and I can imagine that it is something that that comes with a lot of shame but the the rates are go ahead <laughs> yeah so the prevalence rate it depends on I suppose the research that you dig into but it can be anywhere from 0.4 percent of the population right up to four percent but there's a general consensus that it affects around one percent so it's it's not rare at all it's it's been said to be as common as psoriasis and everyone knows what psoriasis is so I suppose I feel a real strong sense of not even duty. It's just it's just to, the right thing to do to talk about it as much as I can because there's there's nothing to be ashamed of. I don't feel shame anymore at all. I, I have a disease. It's not my fault. There's nothing to be ashamed about. And if I can just help people to recognize the symptoms or to help them even talk to family member or a friend or to go to their doctor because they think they might have it 
that's a win. Well, I want to hear more about <laughs> Hydroware because like you were saying, you were coming up with solutions. I think you were making some rough prototypes, which is, I was a fashion designer, so I know how to make things. And I'm still impressed that you were like, oh, I'm just going to try to figure some things out here. Yeah, cobble things together. Oh my God. Like it was so funny. Very, my sister actually just sent me a photo. When you get these memories sent to your phone, kind of like, oh, five years ago, you were doing this. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) five years ago, I was sending her pictures of this really, really early stage prototype that was made just from garments that I bought in pennies, which is a a kind of a target stock target kind of esque shop or Primark in the UK yeah. and fishnet stockings <laughs> and these like I'd used a lot of nappy material for the dressings because they have a really nice way of adhering to themselves so it was just it was really funny yeah start so I, I suppose I informally started working on it back in 20 I think 14 and I had opened the bakery probably six months and uh, I was kind of like, I'll I'll work on this in my spare time. And I say that <laughs> for the listeners in inverted commas, because it's not like I had a whole lot of spare time. But it was, it was great. I was doing a few bits by myself. I didn't get very far with that because I've no background in medical device design or development. So I eventually got a small grant from the government here and was able to spend that working with the medical device designer in from one of the universities here. And that was, gosh, that was 2016. And we developed some prototypes and did some more research. And our research actually was the foundation for another research article that I published last year in a dermatology journal called Carger Dermatology on the impact of HS wounds on the patient's daily life. Because... Mm-hmm. People don't think about this. And I know a lot of people get up, brush their teeth, have their breakfast, have a shower and go to work. Someone with HS has to wake up and assess themselves, clean themselves, bandage themselves up, try to pick a suitable outfit that's not going to maybe be too obvious that you've got loads of padding underneath your armpits. And then then you can go about your taste. Or even some clothes, like I wasn't able to wear at all and some clothes I still don't wear because of this disease. So there's lots of little things that it takes away from you, from your everyday life. So I, I published that. And one thing we found as well, actually, was adhesives are a huge problem for patients. And I know I, I mentioned that in my own experience, but it was it was a really broad experience for patients using adhesives where injuring their skin with the repetitive application and removal of adhesives. Well, that's what I was thinking too, is that it can't be that good for your skin to be constantly, like you said, it's so much more adhesive than you'd have to use on your thigh or your shin or something. And then having to put that on and off and on and off skin that's already sensitive or wounded or scarred, it just sounds terrible. It's a really horrendous experience for people. Yeah, it was just, that's, that's, I suppose that's where my drive for Hydra came it was my own frustrations and experiences but then I suppose the shared experience and knowledge from the HS community and learning that this was a really big problem and there was no real like wound care leaders doing anything about this and we have so many different types of advanced wound care dressings it's a huge market it's a huge industry there's some really big players in it in the market and I just felt so overlooked and ignored 
So from 2016 to, to the end of 2017, I was trying then after I got my prototype to figure out a new way. What's the next step here? Like, what, what do I do after this? And my sister works in our health service here in Ireland. And she sent me a link to a group called the Health Innovation Hub. And they usually encourage innovation within a hospital team. So if a nurse has a, an idea to make her patients heal better or to eat something or to be more, I don't know, effective hand sanitization, they will take that idea and help the nurse develop it. But my sister told me to talk to them anyway, even though I'm not from within the health service. And I talked to them and I showed them the prototypes and what I was doing. And they suggested I apply for this other program on the other side of the country in Galway called BioXL. And that's where things really took a, a huge turn for me because I pitched to them. And when I think back now, I'm like, oh, I was so cute. I hadn't a clue. <laughs> you know, I actually hadn't a clue. <laughs> like, I do think sometimes so they, they say, what is necessity is the mother of invention. And fair enough. You also, you had a necessity. But I also sometimes think naivete is the mother of invention. Because if we all knew what we know later, mm. you look back and you're like, oh, I just, I, I had no idea. Yeah, it was a very steep learning curve. So I put together a presentation. I went to Galway, I pitched it. And they, there was over two years, there was two, 12 companies that were selected for this program. And I was one of the first six that were selected. And it was a six month accelerator. So every month we were trained in a different criteria for developing and commercializing a medical product. So we were learning about product design, intellectual property, clinical kind of studies and clinical oversight, regulatory requirements, because the medical device industry is really heavily regulated mm -hmm. because it has to be to keep patients safe. So, yeah. And at the end of the six months, I, I, <laughs> I just do I move back to Dublin? Do I stay in Galway? And I was introduced to a consultant called Conan and he was going to help me with my business plan and around the same time I was pitching kind of sharks shark tank or dragon's den style mm -hmm. pitching for grants and for prize money basically and I think everybody knows what that is but it's basically here's an idea I need funding yeah exactly kind of okay. yes and so I was successful in three different events in a row and I I won a nice bit of money. So I was actually able to offer Conan a job instead of working as a consultant. And then together, the two of us, we put together a really good business plan. And I suppose we pitched them for real investment in 2019. And we took in some investor money. And then we I suppose I was like at this stage, well, I, I'm never going back to Dublin now. <laughs> I live, <laughs> you know, it, this is my new life. <laughs> I don't know. I keep thinking back to the person who took over your space bakery wise and how it's almost like a sliding doors thing where they're leading one of the lives that you could have led and yeah. you've gone on to this completely different place mm. and life. And yeah, that's, that's really funny. And there, there was one thing where I was so pleased that I trained to be a chef where because a diet is really not obviously it's important for good health, but a healthy diet is important in the management of of any kind of chronic illness. So during the pandemic, when everyone was in lockdown, 
I, I put together like a little healthy recipe book and I was able to share it with people who came to visit the website. And I was just smiling to myself going, oh, <laughs> at least I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm doing I'm the best of both worlds right now. But yeah, so it was a huge transition, I suppose, starting a medical company. And, and I think what freaked me out the most was when I was in the bakery, I was the expert at everything. I had so much experience and knowledge and developed these amazing skills. And I was <clears throat> teaching people who came to work with me what to do or I was training people and I was sharing my skills with them and then I move into this domain that I know absolutely nothing about and everyone that works with me is an absolute expert in their field mm-hmm. and it was just such a kind of a switch up really but one I really embraced because I've never tried to pretend that I'm a big know-it-all or that I'm an expert in <laughs> medical devices because it's such a vast, I suppose, what's the word, industry mm-hmm. that no, no one, it's like literally impossible for one person to know everything. So I was just really blessed to find some really great people to start building a team. And in 2019, then we had our first product fully ready to, to start testing in the market. And it was great. So we, we launched it as a test market in in Ireland because quite close to us we're here and if if we need to talk to someone it's relatively easy to get a hold of them and then we were I suppose gearing up to start growing or to launching in in other markets and then the pandemic came along a familiar story for many (laughs) yeah yeah it really really messed with a lot of people's plans but I think I think it there was a lot of good that came out of it for us. Obviously, it was a huge interruption and a huge, huge set of setbacks as well in one sense. But in another sense, we were able to develop more products from our homes. We were posting samples of material to each other in <laughs> and then we'd be testing them out and reporting back our, our feedback on different materials and We'd be trying on different garments, making videos of them and doing lunges in the shorts, and videoing it to show everyone how the material stretches. And, you know, it's just a really funny, funny time. I suppose maybe that's just me. When you go through something horrible, my memories of it are never as horrible. I'm always like, yeah, that was great fun. <laughs> it was actually probably the worst time at the time. I think that's how we get through things. I think that's the only way to get through things and still have a smile on your face is just be like, that was absolutely miserable. Yeah. But I remember the good parts. Exactly. There was there was a lot of good that, that happened. We also were able to focus on filing for national health insurance schemes and having the products listed on, say, on the NHS, on the drug tariff in the UK, on the HSC equivalent here in Ireland and in other countries as well. So that's a huge, it's a ton of paperwork to get something like that done. So we were able to put the heads down and get that through. Um, we were running our a clinical trial during the pandemic and we had to make a lot of adjustments for that, but it was all very manageable. At the time, it was probably a, a headache, but we were able to adjust and adapt and, and get it done. Yeah, so I think we're in a place now and I, I still haven't even explained what the products are, <laughs> so I will. 
I'm getting good. I mean, I think, I think everybody's probably got the idea, but I have a picture in my mind because I've obviously seen your website. So yeah. yes, please tell us about the products. Yeah, they are, they're essentially medical garments that have a really lovely stretchy material that's, that's just nice and snug when it's on the body. So it's meant to act as a second skin. And we've placed these treatment panels over the most commonly affected areas. So the armpits, the pubic area, the inner thigh and around the buttocks. And these targeted kind of treatment panels have holes in them, pretty big enough holes, probably the size of a coin and a small coin. And they're in a pattern that allows you to put in a dressing inside the garment. And then each of the dressings has its own little tab that has two points on it. And they're essentially Velcro. There's two Velcro dots on the ends of this tab. So you put the dressing in underneath the garment and then use the fasting tab to secure the dressing in place from the outside of the garment through the holes. Mm-hmm. So you're attaching the dressing to the garment instead of adhering it to your skin, basically. So it's a really simple product, but it's really effective. And like the feedback from people using it has been great. Our clinical trial results were great. And there's there's a couple of measures from our clinical trial that like I was just blown away by. One was the reduction in pain, in dressing-related pain specifically where the pain scores were reduced almost to zero in all participants. And five of the participants had actually been using painkillers, using their their, their old product to do a dressing change. So in advance of changing their dressing, they'd be taking pain relief and they didn't need it using hydrowear. And then the other one was there's a, a validated questionnaire used in dermatology called the Dermatology Quality of Life Index. And it, It's a series of questions that measures how a disease is impacting your quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so any dermatology patient would be, well, well, with a chronic illness in particular, would be given this questionnaire anytime they go for their dermatology visit. And every single participant in, in the study had a really significant, and I say really significant, but it was a statistically significant improvement in their quality of life just by using effective proper wound care and that's what blows my mind the most about this is if you give patients the proper tools to manage their condition you can transform their lives it doesn't have to be a like a really expensive drug or like multiple surgeries People want to be able to live like, yes, we need access to that as well. But on your in your daily life, you need to be able to manage your condition as well. So, yeah, I'm really proud of what we've done. And I don't know there's so much more to come, but it feels like we're at the, the kind of start of something really, really exciting and, and transformative for a lot of, of patients. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about transforming people's lives because obviously you wanted to transform your own. You weren't happy with how you were feeling day to day. But the fact that you can have this product that you've self you've said is quite a simple product, but it's something that can make people up to four percent of the population so much better. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And so we've got 
case studies happening as well. And some of the, the feedback from that is just, there's just people being able to work better, people managing or playing with their kids more often really real life stuff it's mm-hmm. not just oh we had a clinical improvement in this patient's wound it's like this patient's actual day-to-day life is improved by that and I think that just it's, it's, I'm very proud I'm very very proud of that but you said there's so much more to come. Is it that expanding it around the world? Is it that there are a lot more products you can make? Or do you think that there are other diseases that could really benefit from similar versions of hydroware? All, all of the above. Yay. <laughs> and, and that's one thing that really strikes me now that I'm, I'm, I'm in this business nearly what I suppose full time since 2018. So I go to a different, I go to a lot of different wound events and I cannot get over the wounds. I just cannot believe that there's so many people with so many different types of wounds and their lives are being really impacted by them. And there's all sorts of like leg ulcers, pressure sores, breast wounds from cancer, like awful wounds, just non-healing wounds that people get. And it's weird because when, and I was saying this to a researcher the other day, I don't think there's enough public awareness about wounds in general. On the telly, we have ads for cancer and diabetes and heart conditions and all of the usual medical conditions that you see on the telly. But wounds are actually a huge issue. And to be fair, the three things you just said all often result in wounds that won't heal or wounds that are really painful. Like I know my dad, when he was struggling with heart condition, it affected his legs so badly. And it was the same kind of thing you were talking about, like just infection and pain. And so we're we're happy to talk about the pleasant word, not that the word cancer or heart failure or any of these things is pleasant, but we've put this, this is the disease, but we don't talk about some of the things that seem like underlying things yeah. that go along with it. You're so right. And you're so right. A, a venous leg ulcer is caused by vascular disease, which is a, a disease that causes a wound. Uh, like the wound is the symptom of the disease. The same with diabetes. A foot ulcer is mm-hmm. a, is caused by diabetes. And is a, is this, well, it's a symptom of, or not a symptom, a consequence. It's a consequence of having the disease. And so HS wounds and lesions are a consequence of having HS. And I think, I think there's not enough public awareness at all. It's a huge, huge issue. And there's so many people that are, again, suffering in silence. So our products can absolutely be adapted to help other patients, in particular elderly patients with maybe the venous legs or the, the pressure sores from lying in bed too long. A lot of elderly patients get sores just from being in one position for too long. And a lot of elderly patients have very fragile skin. So adhesive is a huge issue in the care home setting, for example. We'll be creating a whole pipeline of products where adhesive dressings are a problem. We'll also then be moving into new geographies and we'll be bringing out different types of dressings. So at the moment, our current dressings are super absorbent dressings and they're designed to contain high volumes of exudate. But the next in the product range will be a foam dressing for kind of less exudate. So yeah, it's it's just all happening next year. Can't wait. (laughs) I'm so excited. So excited about the year ahead. 
It's so funny too, to see you and hear you like, I'm so excited about something that most people don't have a clue about, first of all, but also it's not something that most people tend to get that excited about (laughs) until you hear the results of how it's changed people's lives. And then there's so much to be excited about. That's exactly it. And it's such a, it's such a small thing to provide to someone that can really transform their lives. And that we have some of the feedback that I've gotten from patients like I've sat and cried reading it. There was one girl who said her her family have noticed her walking taller since she's been using the product because she's so much more confident in herself. And you're just like, that's just so lovely. We did that. We helped this person to achieve more body confidence just by helping her dress her wounds. There's been people who've just said it's been a godsend. It's it's transformed their lives. They're going out more. They're socializing more. There's been a few that said it's really improved their sex lives, which is great. I'm so happy to hear that because there's a lot of patients shy away from relationships because they're too embarrassed. So yeah, there's just all of these little lovely real life stories being fed back into me. And it really keeps me going because this is definitely not an easy thing to do. Uh, sometimes I'm just like flabbergasted about how much work has been done and how much there still is to do, but it's so worthwhile. I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, technically speaking, you've been the designer slash inventor. (laughs) I know you didn't talk about the fact that you studied for a couple of years. You went through night school kind of thing to get another degree to yeah, well, it was a diploma. It was a diploma and that was still very hard. Yeah, so that was because I suppose what I said earlier, moving from a bakery environment where I knew everything and I knew how to run that business into a an arena that I had no idea about and working with these incredibly skilled, knowledgeable people, experts in their field. And I just wanted to learn how to run an organization basically and learn about I don't even like just so many different parts of how to run a business in it in this new setting because I was completely thrown in the deep end and so there was things that I had no experience in whatsoever like negotiating an investment or gosh just so many different things that I had no clue about, even understanding bigger picture financial statements. And because, yeah, we did, we actually did really well in the bakery, but it was a completely different set of financials. It was a different operation. In this business, you have to take on investments and spend money and then make money. In the bakery, we made money from day one. And yeah put it back into the business so it's even just even the different setups of the business was, was something I had to get my head around marketing just like management human resources policies and procedures and again I would say I'm not an expert in any of these areas or topics but I know enough and I heard a good a good statement there recently from someone else and they're like I know enough to be dangerous <laughs> <And> <laughs> I thought that was clever. Like, I definitely wouldn't say I'm an expert at anything, but I know enough. And the team are just amazing. The guys and gals that I have working with me are second to none and just works really well. Yeah, it just works really well. 
So I, I said from the beginning, it was a flip of what maybe the stories we're more used to hearing on the second chapter where somebody's had this creative dream or something like that. But I think obviously you have a lot that you, a lot of wisdom to impart, even though you're saying you're not an expert at anything, you're definitely an expert on a big switch. What would you, (laughs) (laughs) what would you maybe recommend to somebody who is considering a big switch? Definitely think you have to just go for it and believe in yourself. There's been so many times where I've gone, like, why has no one done this already? Does everyone else see what I see, basically? Because if they do, why has nothing been done about it so far? Mm -hmm. I think that's one thing I really struggled with, thinking that maybe I'm deluded, maybe this problem isn't really a problem at all, and I'm just making this whole thing about me. (laughs) Do other people see? So I suppose I believed... And any time that voice came into my head, I'd be like, no, Suzanne, you're after speaking to 100 people in a group and they've said the same thing. Or you're after presenting this to a group of medical device experts and they think you're onto something here. And so I suppose it was trying to find the, the right advice, definitely finding the right advice and people that are worth listening to because there's a lot of bad advice out there as well and so I definitely was really willing to take on a lot of advice and different opinions and then try to form my own conclusions based on that so I'd I'd get a a couple of different opinions from a couple of different people and then say okay Grant that's what I'll do now sanity checking myself a lot especially in the earlier days and that came with with the BioXL program because every month we were evaluated by the the program coordinator who was doing that month's topic. So they'd be looking at our business opportunity, the case and what we were doing. So it was a not doubting yourself, but not being overly arrogant that you're not going to take other people's opinions and ideas on board as well. And being ready and willing to adapt to to improve what you're to improve what you're building I think that was sorry I'm gonna I could ramble on for ages about this but yeah so that's that's the crux of it is don't doubt yourself believe in what you're doing obviously if everyone is saying this is a terrible idea you should probably take that on board (laughs) this is a terrible idea yeah this is never gonna work but if, if you are having feelings like that go and get someone else's opinion and they will give you their honest feedback. And if the feedback is, yeah, you are, you're, you, you don't have to keep doubting yourself. What you're doing is the right thing. You have to believe it and you just have to go for it. But I definitely did take some advice and change some of the things that I was doing based on that advice as well. So I was never, I have this kind of bigger picture vision of what I want to achieve. And we're, we're, we're getting there, which is so exciting. And it's to kind of transform the wound care regime for people with HS. And then to move into other wounds, because the, the picture is fairly similar for a lot of other wound patients as well. But like HS wound care is becoming an agenda item now. It's really becoming more commonly spoken about. It's being diagnosed quicker, being recognized. And we're part of that movement as well. So on one side, we're a company, we've got products and we develop products to sell. 
And then on the other side, we're a company that has, it has a mission. We have a mission and that's to improve the standard of care for patients with wounds. And uh, yeah, so I suppose my advice would be in the <laughs> longest way of explaining it ever would be not to doubt yourself, get reassurance from good advisors, be willing to adapt and change, and then to keep that bigger picture. And that the bigger picture allows me to let some small things go because in the bigger picture, they don't actually matter. Do you know that way? Mm-hmm. So there's no point having a big argument over a very small detail and something. If that needs to be changed, it's fine. I just try and keep the bigger picture in the front of my mind and and just don't really give up. And someone said it to me a while ago. They were like, I don't know how you haven't given up already because there's, I'm talking as if it's all been roses and it's been like <laughs> it's the best experience of my life. There's been really, really challenging times as well. There's been disasters here and there. There's stuff that's happened and setbacks have happened. And it's been a really challenging, but I couldn't give this up even if, even if I wanted to because it's just such a great journey to be on and I I just don't think I'll I'll ever be able to stop (laughs) somebody stop me (laughs) (laughs) you were doing something you loved so it's not all rosy because of course you gave up a lot to do this you moved completely across the country and all of these things but the passion that you have for what you're doing now and the lives that we've already talked about you changing that's your mission (laughs) that's your that's your (laughs) That's your meant to be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's that. That's my thing. Yeah, it's just it. It's so funny. And some of my friends, I remember when I was telling my friends, I'm gonna go move to Galway, do this thing. They were like, "What? <laughs> You're doing what?" They're all really supportive, obviously. But it's uh, in one sense, they're like, "But what about the bakery? Because it was a good business. It was established. A great customers." And they're like, "What a." Will you still be able to make my wedding cake? <laughs> and I know that, that that you didn't get out of, I think you spent the last weekend making a wedding cake. Did you not? <laughs> I did. I did. And I, was, I won't be doing that very soon again, though. But yeah, it turned out really well. So I'm, I'm delighted. But yeah, yeah so it, every once in a while, just get that little creative urge back out. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. But I also think in a way I was able to use my creative brain to even come up with the idea for hydroware. And of course, no, even now, I still do get to be quite creative with I suppose, different social media stuff or, you know, it's just a different form of creativity, really, than, than what I was used to. But I did really enjoy making the cake. I'm not going to lie. We're almost to the end, which means that I need to ask you about your quote, which I have to say, this is my anthem. So I'm so (laughs) excited you're bringing this quote today. I'm expecting you to burst into song. I'm very tempted. (laughs) So I won't be bursting into song, even though I'd love to. And I'm welling up like I love uh, Wicked. I love all musicals. And I think Wicked is just such a great story because it follows like the underdog. And she's really determined to do what's right. And and I just I just adore the show. And I love the song Defying Gravity. I used to listen to it uh, before like a big pitch or something like that to really get me fired up. And the lyrics that I chose were something has changed within me. Something's not the same. 
I'm through, through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Too late for second guessing. Too late to go back to sleep. It's time to trust my instincts, close my eyes and leap. And then she like, ah! and I'm like, oh, just <laughs> please play the song when you, uh, when you um, put this together. Because it's just. I was uh, looking, I was like, how does it work? And I was like, I don't think I can use a copyrighted song. So I'll just oh, say, yeah. close my eyes and leap. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that I did not doing it justice. That was it that is, was better than than I so, would have done. <laughs> such a, such a, like the words of it every time. I'm just like, yep. Yeah, like I I I get if I go to see that, I'm bawling for this song. Like I'm just in tears. I get completely swept away by it. Like, it's just so apt for exactly how I feel about what happened to me or what I'm doing it's like something something did change I was like completely compelled to follow this new path and you do I was I had this instinct and I did obviously have moments of doubt but I just had to trust it and then by the middle of 2018 I was like moving away from the bakery completely and just diving head first into this new career and not quite defying gravity yet, but hopefully will be <laughs> in uh, next year. Next year, yeah. time to defy gravity. Yeah, but twenty twenty three goals. Number one, defy <laughs> gravity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was really, really inspired and impressed. I think whether it's leaving a bakery to go and come up with an amazing way to change people's lives through wound care or anything that somebody believes so strongly in and accomplishes. It's really inspiring to me. So thank you, Suzanne, so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this as well. So this is another great thing about the job, getting to do stuff like this. It was great. I loved it. Well, I would definitely spread the word and please send us all your information so I can put it in the show notes and best of luck for Defying Gravity next year. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram and sign up for the second chapter newsletter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at the secondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.